0: So when I would look at that pill, all of a sudden, I would just self-hate myself. Chris, you're not the real deal. You're not a son. You preached yesterday and people got touched, people got saved, people got healed, but look at you right now. Chris, you take that pill, you're not a believer. You don't believe Jesus can heal you. Chris, you take that pill, (laughs) just confirms everything the enemy said about you. So for three months, I looked at that pill, and that would go in my head, and I just put it away. And I would pray, God, help me. I need breakthrough. I would talk to my two accountability partners, and they would pray for me. And it wasn't until I was like just killing myself with my shame <laughs> that I saw Jesus come in, in a vision. Take the pill bottle. I said, just take one. This isn't forever.
1: Pastor Chris, thank you so much for coming back.
0: Oh, it's good to be back, man. I love this.
1: We are extremely grateful that, you know, you share your first testimony with us, your salvation testimony, and uh, it was an honor to record you the first time. It's an honor to record you the second time. Yeah. For the people who didn't tune in to your first video, which was your testimony, can you yeah. just share very briefly what your testimony of Jesus is?
0: Yeah, just real briefly, I... I um got saved i believe when i was in second grade um and was in a family where my father wasn't saved my father had a drinking problem and um you know we uh basically prayed him in the kingdom and high school my father uh i guess fell away from the lord and they had a divorce and i just started to act up hang out with the wrong crowd do the wrong thing and basically at a on the eve of a night that i was saying yes to taking drugs because I've never taken drugs, having sex with a young lady, getting drunk. On the eve of that party, I got a phone call and invitation to go out to a revival service at my old church and went with not too much expectation and had this extreme encounter with the Lord where I fell out in the Holy Spirit. I flew, you know. Flew back like six feet, Um, and I was on the floor, and and I felt rivers of living water just like washing me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Uh, That was the first time in in almost maybe ten years that I cried my eyes out, like just boohooed, and I heard the Lord audibly just tell me, "What do you want?" I just told him, I was like, "I want my father to come back home, and I want my all my street friends to get saved." and Getting up from there, I I, um, got involved in church, became a youth leader, then a youth pastor, and was able to see uh, the same type of movement with young people that are coming from extreme, very tragic uh, upbringings and stuff, and God just healing them of that like He did me. And um, about 10, 12 years ago, I rocked my mother and father down the aisle. They remarried after years of divorce. And uh, we were able to see all my friends get saved. So for me, I've been pursuing revival. I am a revivalist. I love revival history. Um, I want to see a church that is awakened, um, that is more apostolic in nature. That's sending, dis- you know, people, you know, uh, discipling people, uh, healing people, whether it's physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, whatever it is. And so that's been my pursuit now for twenty almost twenty eight years going after God wow. in this thing uh of his presence and 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 have been seeing a lot of amazing things in the body of Christ as I gotten older, been seeing a lot of things that I've been nervous about as well. Mm. So Wow.
1: That's amazing. Thank you so much for just giving us the brief Yeah. A brief testimony. Check out the video. <laughs> yes. For anybody who wants to check out the full version, um, the link will be at the bottom and somewhere in your screen, so make sure you check out the full testimony on our channel. Now, Pastor, you have another testimony that's very dear to your heart mm. that you want to share with the people today. Absolutely. Um, what is that testimony that you would like to share? If you could just actually start from from yeah. wherever you want to start.
0: I, I do have a, a testimony of overcoming mental illness. Uh, I believe in my life. Uh, I believe breaking a generational curse in my family. But this has become something very sensitive to me because I feel like the body of Christ, for lack of understanding, has said some things that might deter pastors and leaders of ministries, of churches, to not want to be so open and speaking about what might be going on. And so for me, especially in the state of the church in the last six years, I believe, we've seen a rise of pastors committing suicide, mm. something that I don't believe we've ever seen before. But a lot of it is because of the pressure of not being able to be a, have a public uh, ministry or being behind the pulpit and, and, and making sure that we're okay for the people that we're ministering to, yeah. we become isolated. And 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 so I think, you know, for me, I, I want to be very transparent. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. I'm using my life. And I feel like if I could use my life as a testimony, maybe we can actually start having the right conversations and the right accountability for pastors and leaders and, and anybody that is struggling with uh, depression, mental illness, who's been either diagnosed bipolar or Um, you know, schizophrenic, uh, you know, with anxiety or panic attacks or all that stuff that's on the rise right now, um, there are some concerns that I have in some of our wording, especially because social media has become where, in a sense, we can throw out our our little responses and our little uh, things, and really there's no accountability, you know? But I think we're doing more, we're hurting people that are actually going through this and are actually... um, just a little fearful of what people might say and what their congregation might say. So I said, you know, uh, I, I I have no problem being vulnerable and, and, and being transparent with my life. Yeah. Uh, for me, everything that I have in my life is to Jesus. Come on. Uh, and his testimony and my breakthroughs and and in, even in my weakness, I, you know, I feel his strength. All that goes to him. Yeah. So I just wanted to share just a little bit about what what's what's happening uh, with me. And, and, and what's been going on as far as some breakthroughs and then some setbacks. I want to be real real transparent but the hope of Jesus, the hope of his glory continue to go after revival yeah. you know there's a, there's a lot of components here but I, I do want to talk about some stuff just because as, as a pastor who did privately suffer with depression uh, did privately suffer with anxiety. Uh, I never brought anybody into it until it was too late. And so for me, I think we we need to have the conversation. And hopefully this testimony of what God's done for me and what God is continuing to do for me, because it's continual, uh, will, will spark some conversations or even some compassion and maybe second-guessing why people do what they do wherein, when they're in desperate situations. Yeah. So let me just start off with this. So... so my grandfather, who I loved, um committed suicide. And uh apparently his father, great fa- great-grandfather all were mentally ill, died either from suicide or in a in a psych ward. So there was a generational curse on the Patron name. <laughs> you know, in that my father was born, came to the United States, hard worker, met my mom. My mom, just coming from a very traumatic experience herself, uh, being institu- institutional, institutionalized because my grandmother came to the United States, left my mom, who was like 18 years old. My mother got depressed because she missed her mom, and her family put her in a you know psych ward where she received shock t- therapy. Wow. Uh, pretty intense stuff. She obviously got out of there, and they sent her to the United States to be with her mother. That's where she met my dad at a Peruvian club uh, that my dad and my uncle were running in Seven Corners, Virginia, and they had me. <laughs> uh, you know, I was a, a honeymoon baby, <laughs> and through that whole thing, growing up, my father had an alcoholic. You know, had, you know, he was an alcoholic. He, He gambled compulsively. My mother had a drinking problem, you know, and and so them growing up with with this, you know, with a bunch of tragic stuff that happened, you know, there was I, you know, and and I and I remember as a young kid, if my father didn't get home by five o'clock, I knew that he was going to go out drinking, and I knew that he was going to go out drinking, and I used to get nervous, and I used to eat you know, for no reason, go in the refrigerator, just put something in my mouth. I used to hide food. Um, I remember I used to go to sleep clenching my teeth because if he opened the door, I knew he was drunk. And my dad was not a violent drunk. He was not anything, but he was um, sappy. Either he would be crying or trying to hug my mom. My mom would be irritated that he's drunk. And, you know, my mom is this typical Spanish woman. She's very strong and, you know, she could hold her own. And there was always that fear inside of me. So to me, nighttime was never a time to relax, was a time to pray to God that, one, my dad, nothing bad happened to him and that there would be peace in the house. And so there was a lot of times that we were very, um, uh, I was very stressed as a, as a kid and so, growing up, getting saved and and coming to Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit and going to deliverance and going to inner healing and sozo and he, uh, there's another one in there, uh, Christian counseling or whatever therapy. Um, you know, I, I did those things as I started to you know start to see that. Some things were off in my thinking, thinking there's something wrong with me. And I would go to all those things and be set free and blah, blah, blah. I'm going after God and I'm going, you know, I'm seeing kids get saved and the presence of God is happening, baptizing a whole generation, marking him. And so you see all of that stuff. And, 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 and there's sometimes you're just assuming as you're doing God's work that you don't, you're, you're healed from this stuff. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I got married to a woman of my dreams. We uh, had our first child. And uh, that was the first year I became youth pastor. So I went from youth leader to youth pastor. And one night, taking care of Josiah, watching a, a show with my friends, I felt like I was going to have a heart attack. And I was so scared. I started yelling at my wife, I got to go to the hospital. My friends were trying to calm me down. I couldn't, I did not, no one could convince me that I was not having a heart attack. Went to the emergency room. They immediately did an EKG and my heart test came back fine said, what is this? And that was the first time that I'm entering a season of anxiety and panic attacks. In one year, I went to the emergency room seven times. Wow, I was just so scared. And there was this fear of death. And so it was like, it was this machine in me because our youth group was growing. Our ministry was growing. Kids were getting touched. It was everything I wanted to see in youth ministry. And here I am, I'm going home and I'm being tortured. That's what I felt like. I'm just being tortured, fighting. And it wasn't like, I didn't feel like a demonic thing. I felt like I knew it was me in my head and I knew I was fighting stuff. And yeah, some of that was, you know, warfare. Absolutely, you know, I I tell people all the time, you want to build revival, you're building the messiest thing in church right now. And you better have clean hands and a pure heart if you're going to do it, or you're just going to burn up. You know, I I really do because of the intense warfare and it could have been that, but I just felt like I was fighting this thing and then my mind would go a hundred miles an hour and I would start having panic attacks. And it was so embarrassing, so embarrassing because I thought I was better than that. You know, Christ was the solid rock I stood on. I had all these things and I I was never offended at God. I was offended with me because it can't be God's fault. It has to be my fault. And so I started to lean into my own understanding because I was doing it alone. And I didn't want to tell people cuz I was embarrassed that people would would say, "Well, where's your faith?" or where or 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 do you believe?" or or, or go, go here. And so I started to do everything I could to get this stuff dealt with. I finally went to Christian counseling. Um and um I believe I, and I did some sozos and inner healing stuff. I tra- you know, I traveled to South Carolina or North Carolina to a church and and they did a uh, sozo ministry. It was really amazing. And as I started to do all this, I started to realize that my trauma as a kid growing up in my household, a lot of that trauma, a lot of that fear, a lot of that, I hope dad's safe and going to sleep with your, you know, gr- you know, clenching your teeth and feeling like all the only thing that made you feel better was just to eat, <laughs> you know, all that needed to be dealt with. I never dealt with that trauma, that pain. I forgave my parents. I had a great relationship with my mother. I had a great relationship with my father, but I still had this this thing inside of me that the that the child Chris inside of me needed that healing. And so man, I just started to go get therapy. And and that therapy said, this is just a season. And sure enough, after a year and a half, stuff started to dissipate as I started to get healthier, as I started to deal with stuff, stuff, as I started to really forgive people that, 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 that really did some, some things against me, spoke against me like family, you know, forgave my dad for the traumas of watching him drunk, you know, stuff like that. And I, and I started to see, okay, I can enjoy life. My, 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 me having a panic attack was the way my, body was saying, Chris, you're not going to enjoy the new things in life, like your son, like this job, because you haven't even dealt with your past stuff. And that's ultimately what happened. And so as I was doing that, you know, I started to, again, get involved in ministry and the machine of ministry. And I started to be involved in ministries with, and see, you know, you you, you when you're a pastor, you see the good, the bad, the ugly of church. Not The church, not the bride of Christ. I'm talking about the system. (laughs) You see the good, the bad, the ugly. And there were things that I enabled by keeping my mouth shut that I was responsible for. There's things that I made mistakes in that I was responsible for. There were things that I, I, you know, knowing too many people's stuff and holding it dear to your heart and not knowing how to give it to God and live your life. I started to do some things again that I had no idea. And, and this is all successful ministry. People are getting set free. People are getting uh, saved. People are getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're teaching them how to prophesy, and you're activating them, and you're doing all this amazing stuff. But again, I started to learn that I started to just hold on to stuff. And I couldn't, I didn't know how to leave it at work and still come home and be excited to be a husband to my wife and be excited to be a father to my four kids. And again, five years ago, I have a mental breakdown. I just, I can't believe it. I shut down. I have depression on Mondays. I didn't get out of my bed till 6 p.m., I was exhausted mentally. I was emotionally fried. I felt like I had nothing to offer. I was insecure. And and again, you're you're, you're seeing all this amazing stuff. You're going to a great church. You're seeing just crazy amount of just gossip. (laughs) You're seeing, you know, everywhere you go, because I traveled a lot, so it wasn't just my church, but I would go to a bunch of churches. You went to the green room at some of these conferences that people would kill to be a part of. And you just basically entered a room for full of a, a gossip fest. And so it was like, no, I didn't want to know all this stuff. I didn't want to know who was getting divorced and who cheated on who and and all this other stuff. This is this is ministry. Like when do we protect each other's you know, each other's uh, nakedness in a sense. And so I was just kind of like in this world that I've been praying to be a part of, not for any selfish gain, but because I knew the kingdom would spread. And then you're part of this whole ministry ball and you're with the who's who's and you know them and they know you and their friends and they're texting and paging. And then all of a sudden you just start to see that, oh, wow, this is kind of poisonous. So I started to retreat And I started wanting to come back to some of my roots. Uh, some of my Pentecostal roots, man, that I left, you know, (laughs) some of my speaking in tongues and praying all night and, and getting excited about holiness and, and, you know, knowing what grace really is. And it's not greasy. It's supposed to lead us to holiness. It's it's supposed to work together. It's not one or the other. We started to, there there started to be movements where people were like, we're New Testament and, you know, you guys are Old Testament. And and then Christians calling each other religious when they didn't want to just, you know, um, um, submit to each other's truths, you know what I'm saying? And, and so all of this stuff just started to happen. And I, and, I, and I started to feel like, you know what, man? I feel like, uh, have you seen the movie The Matrix? <laughs> I feel like I was like, yo, I'm in the ministry matrix right now mm-hmm. where everyone smiles in your face, but they're miserable. And all of a sudden, that first pastor killed himself, and it wrecked my life. I said, Lord, how can a pastor do that? How? What is this about? What are we building? What's going on? And so in the same story, no one knew that they were going through that, or they did know, and they didn't really intervene. And and we're talking about pastors of big churches. We're not talking about small little churches in, in you know, podunk towns or whatever. We're talking about established multi-member churches, you know, and I started to realize, what are we doing, church? What are we doing? We attack each other in election year on social media, and I'm guilty of it too. But all we ever do is, is set up very sterile conversations where there's no accountability to win your brother or your sister over. And I started to feel the anxiety again. Then COVID happens. Boom. We got a quarantine. And now, more than ever, young people that had their lives completely turned upside down are depressed, suicidal, with anxiety, bipolar, all this stuff. Now they're being given pills. Now they've been doing this. And then all of a sudden, I start to see well, if you take a pill, you're not believing God because that's a drug and that's altering your mood. Well, I want to tell you guys something. I am a revivalist that loves the presence of God and I take a pill because my family apparently was born with our chemical balances, not, not leveled. And that scares me to say that because I know I'm going to be judged. But you don't understand It's just a pill. We can't rely on that pill. Jesus can heal me. But until that happens, I do test. I'm with a psychiatrist. I do have an antidepressant because I'm a feeler. And sometimes I go off into my feelings and I'm trying to learn how to do that and and still be a husband and still be a father. And all of a sudden people are telling me, oh, you got to get rid of that pill. You don't understand. I've done everything. And I believe it. I believe God's going to heal me of it. But can we be a little sensitive to some people that don't have those, that same faith? That might, be, that, that might be the only thing that gets them to that next stage to set up for their miracle. Like God can't use medicine. Do we not put radiation and, and, and chemotherapy in our bodies if we have cancer? Those medicines alone could kill you. And they actually do kill some people. That have cancer. You know what I'm saying? I had a couple of my friends that that actually killed the cancer, but it ended up killing them because it destroyed their immune system. Are we going to judge those people that are trying to live? Again, I'm not saying that you should just take medicine and that's your only belief and you should be numb. No, no, no. You're over-medicated. That's not good. I'm not advocating for that. But I know some people that need a little something just to get that edge off until the Lord can come and heal them. There's times I don't take my medicine to see if I'm okay. But you know, I looked when I first got prescribed an antidepressant for three months, it was on my dresser. And I looked at it every morning and said, I have the victory. I'm going to beat this thing. And then it was, I'm so scared if I take this and my friends find out, they're not going to think I'm a revivalist. They're not going to say, they're going to say my faith is small. My faith is weak. And I started to really, really toil with this. Finally, the only thing I could settle on, I'm taking this medicine because I need to not let my kids see me depressed. It's the wrong message to be Building the church, preaching your messages, laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover, mentoring the next voices that are going to take us to another level uh, in in the church realm, and then the next day you have nothing, you're exhausted, you're depressed, and you don't know what to do, and you feel shame and you feel guilt. Well, you know what, man, I had a vision. After those three months, the Lord came in my room and he gave me the pill to take. And he said, I'm going to heal you, but you also got to know I use doctors. And the Lord tells me, Luke (laughs) was a doctor and he was one of his disciples and he worked in medicine. (laughs) And I was like, okay. And here I am feeling guilty. And then all of a sudden I started to say, man, what if my testimony could help other pastors, other leaders, other church members that are embarrassed to take this. And yes, Jesus does work. And yes, going to the gym does work. But some other people have been born with really unbalanced stuff. And it's not like Jesus can't do it. Hey, I'm still going to deliverance, guys. I'm still going to inner healing. I still believe. But you know what? I think it's very damaging to people that still need to take some medicine. And some of my dearest friends in ministry do. But they will never say anything to anybody because they don't want to be persecuted. And I think that's wrong. I think we got to be a little more sensitive. To people in this. Because if you're going to have the conversation about mental illness, you got to be open to some saint saying they need to take this. And even if they're wrong, have a connection with them to show them and pray with them and, and fast with them for, for their healing. Just don't give them a pointy finger and say, you don't believe because we're going to damage a lot more people and guess what a lot more people are going to commit suicide and hurt themselves because they don't want they don't want to be ridiculed because they're taking a little pill. Mm-hmm. So here it is, my testimony. I'm doing way better. I'm doing good. There're seasons I take a meth pill, there're seasons I don't just to see if I got healed <laughs> and if I'm not and if I'm still struggling then I'll get back on it. I'm look I'm with a, a you know a Christian psychiatrist. You know, I have a therapist, but I need those things to be able to bounce out because my issue is I take so much in. I mean, you know, I'm a feeler. You know, when when George Floyd died and that whole thing, I didn't go to sleep for a week. I was interceding that we would understand as a church and have compassion. It's just the way I'm built. And a lot of people are built like that. A lot of intercessors are built like that. But we've got to stop judging those people by thinking they don't have faith. See, you could do that to me because I know my journey. And I'm confident in what Christ has done for me. And I'm confident that he's going to heal me. I broke that curse. There's no more suicide in my family. There's not. And the devil has tried to attack my family with it. It's not happening. We're going to choose life. And we're going to choose life abundantly. And we're going to spread his kingdom. And we're going to persevere and have grit. Even when we feel weak, he will strengthen us. But I want to encourage you guys. Please reach out to uh, reach out to myself, my information will be, I would love to pray for you guys. I would love to encourage you guys. You know, there's many paths in this, but if we want to actually have the one step deliverance program <laughs> that Jesus had with legions, then we need to have a little compassion in our heart. And, and and we also need to understand that there's many avenues that Jesus can do just like Jesus does when we're battling cancer, when we're battling illness and all this other stuff. There's certain things that Jesus can use. Now, on the flip side, if your faith is in a pill and you're a believer, that's wrong. That is wrong. It is a drug. <laughs> and if you're feeling numb, And you don't feel life at all because you're taking medicine. Please talk to your psychiatrist. That's not right. God did not create you to be numb from pain. He's given us victory over pain. He's given us victory over wounds. And so I just want to let you know, as I'm battling this, I'm being very vulnerable, very transparent, but I'm going to eliminate some things in my life that I feel that God's asking me to lay down. And so one of the things I'm going to tell you guys is I... I'm gonna do everything I can not to be addicted to this anymore. And I am actually, for a season or forever, don't know, I'm I'm gonna lay down my personal Facebook and Instagram. I'm not gonna be in that world anymore. It's not real. And for me, it does more damage for myself than good, especially when national things come up. Everybody has something to say. Everybody wants to fight. And the sad thing about it is I got 5,000 friends on Facebook. The majority of my friends that are fighting aren't the ones I went to high school with that don't know the Lord. It's actually the church and it's wrong. I just can't see it anymore. So I'm laying that out. I want to spend more time writing uh, with my wife. I want to spend more time being active, uh, getting healthier. But I really feel like the next move of God uh, or the next fast is going to be fasting from cell phones, because this right here has completely uh, been a tool to addict all generations that have them. You, you you ought to look at your screen time from week to week. I looked at mine, and I am honestly embarrassed by what I saw. And so this is my video to say, hey, let's have the conversation. <laughs> Mental illness is here. And guess what? It's more prevalent now for the younger generation and for some of us older people, too, because some of us have been quarantining in unsafe homes, fights in school are on the rise. (laughs) Bipolar is on the rise. Panic is on the rise. Anxiety is on the rise. Depression is on the rise. And I'm telling you, church, if you want to have a heart for this generation, if you want authority, you've got to actually hear the story like Jesus did many times before he healed people. And you gotta feel what they're going through. You don't know what it's like. And as a pastor who goes after revivalists for 20, almost 28 years, I am not offended by that movement and it's been tough. And I've lost a lot, but I've gained way more. I'm telling you guys, I take a pill. I'm not telling you to praise me. I'm not telling you to do anything other than just hear my story. Let's start with someone maybe you respect Who's out there. But by all means, I'm still going to deliverance. (laughs) I'm still going to inner healing. I still go to Christian therapy. And I still see a psychiatrist to monitor my medicine. I have accountability partners that pray for me. I fast once a week. But I'm telling you right now, my mind is clear. It's not numb. I feel life's ups and downs like the next one. But I was born maybe to have a little bit of help. And I'm not going to be embarrassed about that anymore. And if you're taking something, you shouldn't be embarrassed by it either. And if your friends that are in the church are going to ridicule you from it, find new friends. Find a circle that's going to encourage you, not enable you, encourage you, but also love you to tell you the truth about yourself. Because that's what I have, and I'm marching in victory. And so I just wanted to share this story with you guys Because it's something that's prevalent. Guys, never in our church history have we had this many leaders in the church commit suicide. There's a problem. And you could sit there and say, well, they never knew God or whatever. You could judge their story. Do that. That's probably really, really insensitive. Consider that they have children and wives that are picking up the pieces of their family, of their husband's decision. All I'm saying is be a little compassionate just like Jesus was compassionate with you, just like his love and kindness led you to repentance. It wasn't the truth about your sinful nature, right? He loved you first, Then he spoke to you about the truth, what was a violation in his kingdom and what wasn't, what he saw you as um, in his kingdom and what he doesn't see you as, and he would give you conviction, and conviction is a good thing because it leads you to repentance and it leads you to turn away. In fact, you know your legitimate son and daughter when you feel the conviction of the Holy Ghost, and so I just want to let you know something. There is hope. I... Don't really care what people are going to say about me. I'm sure they're going to judge me because, to be honest, I'm off of social media anyway. But if you do want to follow me, follow my church generation center. That's where I'll be posting my spiritual thoughts, my thoughts on what we're going through and using that as an outlet. And again, I don't know. Maybe this is goodbye Facebook, goodbye Instagram. You know, I'm not going to let you bring anxiety in my life anymore. I'm going to spend more time praying, more time going after the kingdom of God. So. Just wanted to share that as a testimony. And here it is. I have peace. I have joy. I am excited. But I still got some battle scars. And that's because we're building his kingdom. Mm. Now, I did have some questions. Sure.
1: I I, I wanted to go back to that moment when you were uh, looking at that pill and thinking about taking it. Can you just take us into your mind, into what you were actually going through. You touched on it very briefly, yeah. but just give us a little bit more perspective as to what was going through your body and your mind as, as you were experiencing depression and anxiety. How is it attacking you? You mentioned to me at some point you had a hard time getting out of bed. Yes. Can you just give us a little bit yeah, more?
0: Physically, physically, I was exhausted. My mind was exhausted. Sleeping was the best thing that I could think about doing, but I wasn't doing anything. So when I would look at that pill, all of a sudden, I would just self-hate myself. Self-hatred. self Chris, you're not the real deal. You're not a son. You're not a revivalist. You preached yesterday and people got touched. People got saved. People got healed. But look at you right now. Wow. Chris, you take that pill. You're not a believer. You don't believe Jesus can heal you. Chris, you take that pill. <laughs> just confirms everything the enemy said about you. So for three months, I looked at that pill and that would go in my head and I just put it away and I would pray, God, help me, help me. I need breakthrough. I would talk to my two accountability partners and they would pray for me. And it wasn't until I was like, just killing myself with my shame (laughs) that I saw Jesus come in, in a vision. Take the pill bottle. said, just take one. This isn't forever. And that was it. And my wife came in the room and said, what if this takes the edge off of you? Chris, you need to think about your kids. They're looking at you. You could do this. And so I did. And guess what? (laughs) It was the wrong pill for me. (laughs) I had really bad side effects. So I took another pill. That had really bad side effects. I went through five pills until I found the right one. And now people can notice a difference in my temperament, even when I'm going through hard times. So I learned from that. I learned this is what I need to do. I'll pray. I'll go on prayer walks. I'll go to the gym. I'll I'll go swimming. I'll do stuff to kind of relax myself And understand this is actually good for my body's process. And so I'm on a very, very, very low dose, the low dose they could give you. So there is no numbness and there's no addiction to it because I can, I've already taken journeys where I don't take it. I give it three weeks, see where I'm at and just have to be, and it's a humbling process. Yeah. You know?
1: Now, now... You've mentioned multiple times as to the fact that you can be in this mindset or in this position, but still have a successful ministry. Now, for for people who may not know exactly what's happening here, because we may think sometimes, well, if you're depressed, your ministry can be successful. Um, From your perspective, from a person who has experienced that and has had a successful ministry, what exactly is happening there? How can people have... Depression and then still have successful ministry.
0: I, I well one one we we need to understand something that in the Bible, some of God's most mighty men had depression issues, had anxiety. Elijah when he escapes to to the cave after defeating the prophets of Baal had a full fledged anxiety attack right? Um, You know, and people say, well, you're putting too much in the scripture. No, read it, read it with feelings. You know what I'm saying? You know, uh, David many times, King David, Oh Lord, why have you forsaken me? Why have you handed me over to my enemies? Why do you let them mock me? You know, that's obviously old language, but we say the whole thing, you know, we can say it in our heads too. So one of the things is, is I learned how to be a machine. You, you learn that you put you, you save your energy for Saturday night service, Sunday morning, when you go to work on Tuesday, you learn how to do that and after a while you put on a mask. You know, this is the funniest thing. As like, you know, we all got upset because we had to wear masks in church or whatever, and I was just thinking, man, I've been wearing a mask in church for years. <laughs> and the ch- and people have too cuz they're miserable but they go and you're the pastor. You can't be a, because you know what? You can't be a pastor that just comes in all mopey and Eeyore-like, you know? But I learned this, this and I, the only way is like, it was like um, this rhythm. Chris, give everything right now, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you have off. Saturday night, you have service. Sunday, you have church. Monday, poof, you're depressed. And so how can that happen? Happens all the time you know, the gifts are without repentance. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying I had a sin issue, but I had a weakness issue. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and it came from uh, a lot of it came generational stuff that I had to battle and and, and break. You yeah. know what I'm saying? But do, you know, but going after those things, it's important to, you know, to go after and see your breakthrough. Don't give up on that. But that was, that was me. I just learned to say Mondays are my night, my days to self-indulge in self-hatred. <laughs> so it was basically how I lived for years. Really quick, that would you, would you said gifts... Are without repentance. Are without
1: repentance. Very quickly, what exactly does that we mean? We
0: see it all the time. We see big time... Let, 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 we, this is just me being weak. And even in my weakness, God was my strength. But a lot of people would think that... I was going through some sin issue, you know, or whatever. How can you do that? Well, you know, your gifts are without repentance. Like, like this is the reason why we got, you know, <laughs> closet homosexuals preaching fire. And they, they have a sin issue that they're dealing with, you know, that God is, you know, allowing them to still— be able to preach and teach, and doesn't last that long. There's no logge- longevity in that, but it happens. We see this all the time with worship kid, worship people. You know, um, especially in a lot of worship movements in the past, uh, idolatry and 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 and, and, and pro- promiscuity was was heavy in that. But then they would go and lead this amazing set. And what happens is they would go ahead and be like, "Well, God's still showing up, so maybe my hidden lifestyle isn't as bad as I think." Well, no. That's where destruction comes in. And so so for me, it, it, it was like, it could have very, be- very well be, be that I lived that ministry, corporate, church, evangel- evangelical machine. And then I just, I worked well in rhythm. So I knew, you know, Friday I'd be depressed and Monday I'd be depressed. But Chris, don't let anyone see that. And I just learned to live in that because I was scared of being shamed. Because I was shaming myself.
1: If you could just give a couple of words to pastors who are watching your testimony right now, who maybe are experiencing what you are experiencing and are not
0: sharing it, what can you say to them? I would say isolation breeds deception. Don't be deceived. We are not meant to walk alone in our walk of faith with Christ. We are meant to be in communities that are going to support us and love us. One thing you need to know is you're not alone, you're not crazy, and you're not an orphan. Jesus loves you. Jesus intercedes on behalf of your faith like he did for Peter, that you won't give up. And no matter what people say, the only person that really matters is what your family and what you know the Lord is saying over you. You got to, as a public minister or having some sort of congregation or influence over a crowd, you can't live on their criticisms or even on their blessings. You have to be secure enough to bring what is hidden to light. And that's where you'll start to feel hope. That's where you'll start to feel encouragement. And that's where you'll start to know that you're not alone. And some of the things you're going through might not be generational curses like what I'm breaking in my life. You know what I'm saying? What my kids are breaking. Uh, For you, it might be you just said yes to Jesus and there's an onslaught of warfare because the enemy doesn't want you to achieve your goals for the kingdom. Whatever it is, bring it to light. Bring it to people that you trust. If you trust no one, then message me. That's all I could tell you. I already been ministering to so many pastors that are going through this whole thing and we could set you in the right direction. Go to some Christian counseling. Invest in your spiritual man just like you invest in your physical man. You pay for a gym membership. You go to the gym to benefit from that and your body benefits being healthier. We gotta be better mind, body, and spirit. So my encouragement is find someone or look. <laughs> Look, uh, maybe they're around you. Maybe they're not. Whatever it is, find people that are encouraging you, that are going to help you, and understand, and not judge you, and also protect your nakedness. Beautiful
1: for the youth that are watching, um, or, or even people who are not leaders and are, are medicating or are taking medication. And have felt that shame. What can you say to them?
0: Listen, the younger generation or people that aren't in ministry, same thing for you. Don't isolate. Don't, you can't do this alone. You need to bring it to life. Anybody that has committed suicide has felt alone for a reason because they've isolated. You need to know that you need a company of brothers and sisters encouraging you. To the younger generation, you've been dealt a bad card with quarantine and COVID and, and your whole life uh, having to be, you know, uh, brought down to your room and learning how to, you know Zoom. Cl- classes and, and do all this other stuff away from what you're used to doing, you know, what I would say is get involved in your youth group. Be consistent. Uh, talk to your parents or one of them or, or both, whoever you trust the most, and 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 have these conversations. Let them know, hey, I've had unpleasant thoughts. Guys, we're ministering to 11-year-old girls that were suicidal, having demonic dreams and praying for them, and, be, and, 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 and because, they've communicated to their friends and their youth pastors and youth leaders and moms that we're able to now target prayer. You know what I'm saying? And so just letting you guys know that speaking and bringing to light, don't feel shame. Shame is a ploy from the enemy to get you from speaking. And you need to rebuke that game plan and just share it. Come and and be encouraged and and let, let us love you. We we do love you, but you need to hear it and you need to see it. Come on. Pastor, in this season of your life, who is Jesus to you? In this season of my life, Jesus is my friend. <laughs> He's my friend, man. <laughs> Jesus don't judge me. Jesus loves me. He talks with me. He cheerleads me on. And I feel his encouragement. And, and, he, and, and, and abiding with him has been probably the most meaningful thing that I'm doing in ministry right now. is hanging out with the Lord with no agenda, not trying to get a sermon off of Him, just being who I am. I'm comfortable enough to be so transparent, because Jesus knows I take a pill. And I'm not here to say that that's forever. And I'm not here to say look at me. Ha, ha, ha. No, I'm here to say that Lord loves me anyway. (laughs) And, and that's who he is. He's my friend,
1: my best friend.